Welcome. Thank you for listening to Clear Bible. And Merry Christmas. This is my Christmas message for 2023. Is that right? Yeah, 2023. And uh, you may be listening to it on Christmas 2023. You might be listening to it later. Either way, that's fine. I, I pray and hope that the Lord will speak his word to you. So we're going to look at a couple of different texts this time. We're going to do something slightly different. I often sort of take one particular person or group of people in the Christmas story and think about this. But instead, I'm going to take several different groups from a couple of different places and talk about how they responded to Jesus. And so we're going to look today at one scripture, but we'll, I'll read one scripture, but we'll look at other ones as well. Let's pray, though, before we get started. Holy Spirit, please come and speak to us right now through what I'm about to say, through the word that I'm about to read, your word, and let us hear and receive everything in this time that you want us to receive. I pray that we would respond to you and to respond to your word in ways that are good and right and appropriate, the ways that we should respond in faith and in trust. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to read to you from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 20, and then I'll mention a couple other places as well. And by the way, the Christmas story only comes to us from the book of Matthew and the book of Luke. Mark doesn't talk at all about the birth or childhood of Jesus, and John sort of talks about it in a very metaphysical way. It's kind of a whole different approach. But we're going to look at Matthew chapter 2 for this year. And it goes like this. I'm reading from the God's Word version. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea when Herod was king. After Jesus' birth, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem. They asked, where is the one who was born to be the king of the Jews? We saw his star rising and have come to worship him. When King Herod and all Jerusalem heard about this, they became disturbed. He called together all the chief priests and the experts in the scriptures and tried to find out from them where the Messiah was supposed to be born. They told him in Bethlehem, in Judea. The prophet wrote about this. Bethlehem and the land of Judah, you are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. A leader will come from you. He will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the wise men and found out from them exactly when the star had appeared. As he sent them to Bethlehem, he said, Go and search carefully for the child. When you have found him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they'd heard the king, they started out. The star they had seen rising led them until it stopped over the place where the child was. They were overwhelmed with joy to see the star. When they entered the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, so they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. God warned them in a dream not to go back to Herod, so they left for their country by another road. After they had left, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. The angel said to him, Get up, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, because Herod intends to search for the child and kill him. Joseph got up took the child and his mother, and left for Egypt that night. He stayed there until Herod died. What the Lord had spoken through the prophet came true. I have called my son out of Egypt. 
When Herod saw that the wise men had tricked him, he became furious. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys two years old and younger in or near Bethlehem. This matched the exact time he had learned from the wise men. Then the words spoken through the prophet Jeremiah came true. A sound was heard in Ramah, the sound of crying and bitter grief. Rachel was mourning for her children. She refused to be comforted because they were no more. After Herod was dead, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. The angel said to him, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to Israel. Those who tried to kill the child are dead. So at Christmas time, you know, we like to have warm and cozy feelings about stars and mangers and babies. And, and those feelings really do have their place. Childbirth is a natural time for tender feelings. And I also believe that the, the power of what we feel during the Christmas season is kind of an echo of the incredible power of the moment when God took on human flesh. But sometimes we use these warm, cozy thoughts to sort of just affirm our own self-oriented ways. Christmas becomes a moment when we just sort of feel good and peaceful regardless of the state of our souls. And I'm all for feeling good and peaceful, but let's feel that way for the right reasons. If they're true biblical reasons, we can feel peaceful any time of the year, not just at Christmas. But if they're the wrong reasons, it will be a false and deceptive peace. The angels, when they came to the shepherds, they declared peace on earth and goodwill to men, but not just, and, and by men he meant humankind, but, but the angel didn't say, didn't stop there, peace on earth and goodwill to humankind on whom God's favor rests or with whom God is pleased. In other words, it's not just general peace. It's not just, hey, everybody feel peaceful. It's peace specifically among those with whom God is pleased. Who is God pleased with? Those who trust his Messiah. Those who have received the Messiah as Lord. Peace to you. Not peace necessarily to everybody. The fact is, you see, the baby entering this world helplessly was actually the opening shots, the opening salvo of a tremendous spiritual battle. And when we respond with, oh, how sweet, that's, that's not really quite appropriate. It's not, in fact, an option that Jesus gives us. There's a man named Simeon who we'll, we'll talk about later, and he puts his heart, his finger on the heart of the matter, and that is that we stand or fall based on how we respond to Jesus. When we look at the whole Christmas story from both Matthew and Luke, we get a snapshot of how different people responded to God's unfathomable appearance as a baby in poverty and humility. We have Mary, we have Elizabeth, we have Zachariah, Joseph, Simeon, and Anna, and we also have Herod and the leaders in Jerusalem. We have the Magi, we have the shepherds. And so I want to look at how a few of these people responded to Jesus and think about our own response to him. Think about this. Even before Jesus was born, he shattered and reoriented the lives of those people around him. Mary. Think about Mary, right? She, she received Jesus in, in trusting faith. And what happened? You can, you can be certain that almost nobody believed that she was still a virgin, right? Yes, I know I'm pregnant, but really, uh, you know, this is just God. There's, there's no, no guy involved here. Yeah, right. They knew how babies were made, and, and they, weren't, they, they were pretty strict about that sort of thing. And so Mary 
would have been rejected by many of her friends and family. She would have lost the, the respect of the entire town. And again, she probably lost some friendships and even family members. Joseph, same thing. What a chump. You think we're supposed to believe that you and Mary weren't off in the woods, you know? Come on, we know how this child came to be. Quit, quit putting it on, dude. And uh, he lost the respect of the town, and he lost his business. They, they just left it. You know, they left. They went to Bethlehem. They didn't have to go and live in Bethlehem, but they did. They were seemingly intending to live in Bethlehem, and then they ended up going to Egypt as well. Joseph lost his business. He lost everything in order to have this child. When he was eight days old, Mary and Joseph took Jesus to the temple in Jerusalem. This is according to the law of Moses, and they made a little sacrifice for him. And while they were there in the temple, they encountered an old man named Simeon. And the Holy Spirit revealed to Simeon that the little baby was the promised Messiah. And Simeon praised God, and he had some prophecies. And then he says this, Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is the reason that many people in Israel will be condemned and many others will be saved. He will be a sign that will expose the thoughts of those who reject him and a sword will pierce your heart. Simeon didn't just see a sweet little cute baby and an, you know, a new family, you know, how, how, how tender and wonderful. He saw in that little baby the crossroads of life. He understood prophetically that the way people chose to respond to Jesus would become the most important thing. And when Jesus himself grew up, he made it clear over and over again that he agreed with Simeon. He plainly thought, Jesus plainly thought, that the fate of every human being would be determined by how they responded to him. Listen to what he says in Matthew chapter 10, verses 20, 32 through 39. So everyone, this is Jesus talking. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And by the way, that means whoever is not willing to die. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Listen to that. He is saying, you must love me more than anyone else in the world. You must be ready to choose me over even your own family. You must be ready to die for my sake. Now, these are not the words of a mellow, hey, everybody, get along, peace on earth, oneness of mankind, mellow kind of spiritual guru. That is not at all what you get from this. This is someone who clearly believes that he stands in the place of God. He says, you got to love me more than anything. That's, that's not kind of your... You know, like I say, it's not this love and acceptance and peace and oneness. This is a clear-cut deal. Do you choose me or do you not choose me? Now, he might be an egomaniac, crazy, a, a sociopath. Or he might be God in the flesh. But he doesn't leave us the option of seeing him as some kind of metaphor for love or the goodness of all mankind. We must either condemn 
this Messiah as a dangerous sociopath. Guy's power has gone to his head or something and, and stay away from him or we worship him as God. But we don't get to just say, oh, what a sweet thing. The baby and the Mary and the, and the Joseph and oh, that's so sweet. Yes, it is sweet. Listen, what, the, what I'm getting at here is that even when he was a baby, people were forced to make that choice about him. From his very conception, he was the reason people were either saved or condemned. The way others responded to him exposed their inward state of mind. Hundreds of years before Jesus' birth, the prophet Isaiah spoke about the coming Messiah, and he said this, Do not call everything a conspiracy that these people say is a conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be terrified. You are to regard only the Lord of armies as holy. Only he should be feared. Only he should be held in awe. He will be a sanctuary. But for the two houses of Israel, he will be a stone to stumble over and a rock to trip over and a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Many will stumble over these. They will fall and be broken. They will be snared and captured. The Messiah, this little child, will be a sanctuary to those who receive him, the center of joy and peace. But he will also be a snare to some, a rock to stumble over for those who reject him. And we find that that was quite literally true, not only when Jesus was grown, but even when he was first born. Think of Herod, right? He hears from these wise men. I mean, it's got to be a scary thing. These, these, you know, prominent princes from halfway across the desert come along and show up and say, we want to worship the new king. And you haven't had a baby in, in a couple of years. And you're thinking, what do you mean? What new king? Nobody's been born. And Matthew 2, 3 says, when Herod and all Jerusalem heard this, they became deeply disturbed. They didn't see, oh, here is an opportunity to trust and to worship and to have my view of what God can do expanded. No, this is a threat. This is a threat to his own power. This is a conspiracy. Remember Isaiah said, don't call a conspiracy what everyone thinks is one. Herod thought it was a conspiracy. And he thought it was a threat to the future of his dynasty. And, and the people around him, his cronies, the leaders, they were afraid of losing their position. The innocent child, simply by being who he was, provoked Herod to contempt, fear, and hatred. Herod's malice was exposed by this child. The thought of his heart was exposed, and he perpetuated a horrible atrocity, but he didn't manage to kill the threat. Herod fell in relationship to the baby. He was condemned in relationship to this baby. And when the baby was still a child, Herod died. And even eventually, those who succeeded in killing this Messiah have long since died, but the Messiah still lives. These days, we usually think humility is a good thing. We think it's cool that lowly shepherds were given the good news while princes were ignored. And we think it's wonderful that in the birth of the Messiah, God honored, brought honor to this poor family and left the rich to their own devices. But the only reason we think that way is because of this child himself. It's only the teachings of Jesus that lead people in our culture to think that humility is good, that wealth isn't everything, that you don't get noble based on who you were born to. 
But people in those days honored noble blood and wealth. And humility was not a virtue. The idea that God did not honor noble blood and wealth was ridiculous. It's unthinkable. God born in a stable? Absolutely not. The Messiah born to be part of a poor family? No way. God dying for his enemies, killed by his enemies instead of killing his enemies? Never. That little stable 2,000 years ago, it wasn't just sweet and cute. It overturned much of what everybody believed to be true. And let's be honest, even today, the idea that God came into the world as a human baby sounds incredibly far-fetched. The claim that he obtained victory by being publicly humiliated and killed is ridiculous. To insist that we will stand or fall, that we will be saved or condemned based on how we respond to him is offensive. It's foolishness to worship one little baby from one poor family. And you know what? The apostles of this Messiah agreed. Listen to what one of them writes from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 31. The message about the cross is nonsense to those who are being destroyed, but it is God's power to us who are being saved. Scripture says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. I will reject the intelligence of intelligent people. Where is the wise person? Where is the scholar? Where's the persuasive speaker of our time? Hasn't God turned the wisdom of this world into nonsense? The world with its wisdom was unable to recognize God in terms of his own wisdom. So God decided to use the nonsense of the good news we speak to save those who believe. Jews ask for miraculous signs. Greeks look for wisdom. But our message is that Christ was crucified. This offends Jewish people, and it makes no sense to people who are not Jewish. But to those Jews and Greeks who are called, he is Christ, that is Messiah. God's power, God's wisdom. God's nonsense is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, consider what you were when God called you to be Christians. Not many of you were wise from the human point of view. You were not in powerful positions or in the upper social classes, but God chose what the world considers nonsense to put wise people to shame. God chose what the world considers weak to put what is strong to shame. God chose what the world considers ordinary and what it despises, what it considers to be nothing in order to destroy what it considers to be something. As a result, no one can boast in God's presence. You are partners with Christ Jesus because of God. Jesus has become our wisdom, sent from God, our approval, our holiness, our ransom from sin. As scripture says, whoever brags must brag about what the Lord has done. So even the apostles agreed, it is foolish, it is offensive, and God made it that way deliberately. God chose an ordinary poor family, the kind of people who are despised by elites. He chose a humiliating death to bring about eternal, abundant life. He chose to be a baby in a stable, to be part of a family with no home of their own so that we could have an everlasting home with him. 
There is a sweetness and a tenderness to that scene of Mary and Joseph and the little baby and the shepherds, but the sweetness and tenderness are kind of just extras. The magnificent power of God was infused into that simple, humble moment. And the way we respond to that baby means everything about our future. Mary never knew it during her earthly life, but even though she lost the respect of the people of Nazareth, think about this for a minute, She's lost friends, family. People won't talk to her. They turn up their noses at her. She's no longer respectable. Millions upon millions and generations upon generations of people have the utmost respect for Mary. Yeah, she lost a little bit in the short term. But look at what she gained even within human history. That's not even counting what she gained in the new creation. Joseph, of course also lost respect, and he also gained far more than he lost. Herod, however, went down in history, rightfully so, as the murderous despot that he was. And today we celebrate the wisdom of the Magi who worship Jesus, and we shake our heads at the foolishness of the Jerusalem rulers. But for all of us, there comes a moment when we recognize we are being asked to take a leap of faith. There's a moment when we realize this is offensive. This is crazy. This does turn the wisdom of the world on its head. And what would give us the strength? What can give us the strength to choose this weakness, this foolishness, this offensive trust? I think it's the certainty of God's love. He came as that little baby and died for us long before any of us were born knowing the times we would reject him, knowing the ways we would hurt him, he went through it all anyway. He willingly suffered to save us, knowing that, knowing his love for us, his commitment to us, going all the way to death. We can find the courage to choose him, even when it feels foolish, even when it might offend those around us. He loved us first. He loves us still, whether or not we know it. So I pray that when we do get confronted with this child, and we have the, the opportunity to trust him, that we won't be like Herod, having contempt for him, despising and fearing him. Instead, let's be like Simeon, who rejoiced and who recognized that what is most important is how we receive the incredible gift of God in this child. Don't worry about the times in the past when maybe you, you have ignored him, or maybe you've even outright rejected him. He is still calling us each and every day. Receive him now. Let his grace cover the times we failed. This, this isn't a one-time thing, by the way. I'm not just talking about, you know, getting saved. I'm talking about living the Christian life, responding to Jesus over and over again, and often failing. And yet his grace is still there calling us again. Trust me this time. We've covered last time. Trust me this time. Let's make it a habit to receive the wonderful gift of this child over and over again, now and every day. Let's pray. Thank you again, Lord, for your grace to us. Thank you for your love for us. Help us to see that love given in this humility and this weakness and this foolishness. Let us have the gift of faith to trust you and to receive your life, your forgiveness, your salvation now and every day. We do receive you in Jesus' name. Amen.
Merry Christmas to you all.